the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. This week I speak with Brian Torrance, the director of Ever Active Schools. Brian works with government ministries, schools, and other agencies to initiate new and innovative projects that support health and wellness in Alberta children and youth. Prior to joining Ever Active Schools, he went to the University of Alberta completing a bachelor's in physical education and a master's of science. Brian has a lot to share about bringing together organizations to work towards creating environments where students can be healthier. I really love his perspective as he sees what's been working and is constantly learning himself about how we might be a positive influence on the health of everyone in our society. You can connect with Brian by visiting the Everactive Schools website at everactive.org or by following him on Twitter at Brian Torrance. You can also connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter, at Intersection Ed, or even on Facebook. Now, we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Brian Torrance. Brian Torrance, welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. Thanks for being on the show today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for the invitation. No problems. Let's get let's get right into it because I, I am really interested to talk about the work that you do in schools, and that's really around promoting health through school communities. I, I have an idea. I think people have an idea of why health is important. But from your perspective, why do you think it is important that schools and school communities really focus on health and do some some health promotion? And what are maybe some of the things that you see driving your work? Um, so to the importance question, um, I think we're having a greater understanding that health and wellness is foundational uh, to learning. So uh, an environment where a child spends most of their day um, to not have that connected to health is kind of missing missing the point to how that child can learn. Um, and also, I think uh, it's important to maybe see the roots of the social determinants of health. Uh, and part of that is 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 income, uh, where, where people come from. Everyone's home is not, are not the same. And I think schools are, are a wonderful, wonderful level playing field. So every child has the opportunity to come to a school to learn. But with that, every child should be able to come to a school and also... Um, uh, achieve good health. Yeah, absolutely. Now we talked about kind of the things that are driving your work. Um, are you seeing that schools are effective? Do you think that schools are a good way? You talked about kind of that universal, um, the universal access to schools. Um, households are maybe a little bit different, but um, schools are might have maybe a leveling of the playing field. Um, maybe talk a little bit about why that a little bit more about that and why schools are such a great spot to promote health. 
So community is powerful. Uh, social networks are powerful. Uh, friendship is powerful. Uh, relationship with a role model or an, an, an adult figure is a powerful. And you have all those things at, at schools. Um, so I think that's a main, uh, main reason why the, the school is such an ideal environment. Um, and let's not forget the age of, wh- of where a school um, uh, impacts a child. So these are pivotal, year- pivotal years. Um, these are influential years. Um, so if we can have a child in a positive um, physical environment at, at those ages with, with being supported, creating a sense of belonging, um, then that's a pretty, pretty important um, environment for that child to be in. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know that promoting health throughout the entire age is, is probably pretty important, but yep. have you seen any research or any kind of sweet spots of when it is or what age should we really be focusing on um, for kids to develop those good habits, develop those lifelong fitness, health kind of skills or mentalities? Yeah, I, I definitely say so focusing on school it would definitely be the, between the ages of five and 12, yeah. uh, not to... Uh, take away aspects of those first 2000 days. There's a lot of research in terms of development that way. Um, but it's focusing on the school. It's definitely between the ages of five and 12. Um, in terms of things like, you know, activities or skills or physical skills and things like that. Like I always say, what skills does someone do now that they didn't learn in, in those ages or they, mm-hmm. they weren't, they weren't, um, introduced to at those ages. Uh, which is why it's so powerful to have things like a strong health and physical education curriculum uh, and introducing a child to all these different opportunities. He or she may excel in a certain activity, um, but if we lose the opportunity to introduce all these uh, important things uh, at that age, um, then I think we're missing missing that um, missing that window in terms of 5 to 12. And then behaviors and things like mm. uh, just the things that you adopt in terms of, um, you know, some of those other health behaviors such as... Um, uh, healthy eating uh, or having uh, good sleep patterns and all those different things. Uh, these ages are, are definitely critical for that. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's face it. Health is hard. Uh, if we, if it was easy, I think we would have solved all of the different health. And I don't, I, th- I don't think crises is, is too strong of a word. Cause I think that there are some, some pretty important things that we're, we're trying to tackle around health. Just so many factors, so many things that influence you over health and, and you know what? I see schools, they come up with their 50-point plan where everyone is coordinated and if everything goes out. And sometimes I just think it's just too hard. Do you think that we overcomplicate these health initiatives? And maybe what are some of the best, most simple ways of just getting back to the very essence of promoting school health? So, yes, 100% the system um, and our, you know, our our governments uh, really overcomplicate uh, health, and then also we introduce these very easy silver bullet plans to address the health and wellness of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a great cover, uh, and there's some fifty point, you know, like, as you said, uh, <laughs> points that we all need to hit, and then we feel we're going to get there. And I, you know, back to your previous question on drivers, like you know whether it's obesity or it's mental health. Um, these things drive these plans, and then we feel we're going to achieve this optimal health and wellness um, if we follow this follow this plan. Now, what our shortcomings are these plans are are usually four years or five years long, um, and also we don't resource them the way the way we should. Um, so I think that's that's definitely in a in a place and a system in a world um, that we overcomplicate things. Where we need to simplify things. Yesterday, I was I was fortunate enough to be at uh, Mother Earth uh, Children's Charter School, um, which is just just near here. 
Um, and we kind of had a traditional game. So, well, five or six different First Nation school authorities came and we, we had a outdoor games where the children were teaching each other all these different games from running, uh, run, run and scream. They were sledding and, and the simple aspect of connecting a child to being outside, the simple aspect of connecting a child to different friends in a different community. Um, that was a much simpler way to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the context of what, what can happen every day in a school, we can create those connections uh, all the time. There was just some good evidence out around uh, if, a, if a principal, he or she is at the front door welcoming that child, mm-hmm. right? That's a better day than if that child was not welcomed. Um, I think those are simple things. Um, and so, and we need to, you know, maybe decrease the complexity of sometimes our grand plans Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I love how you're talking about the relational aspect and how it is overreaching, right? So yeah. better day, but also can contribute to your school health, yeah. um, or the health of the individuals at school. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really powerful. Yeah, that's really powerful. And and it's talked about in different ways. Some people talk about it through the relationship lens. Some people talk about it through the community lens. So yep. I think you're you're speaking the language. I love it. Um, now, speaking of complicated plans, I actually yep. uh, I've been on the Ever Active site. And um, you guys don't have a very complicated plan. You have kind of four. You talk about four components of, of comprehensive school health. And um, you talk about health school policy, healthy school policy. You talk about partnerships and services. That's the second one. The third one you talk about is social and physical environment. And then lastly, the general teaching and learning resources. You get out and you're speaking to a lot of schools. You're speaking, you're really well connected. And I'm, I'm interested to know when you're looking at these four overarching components of comprehensive school health, which one do you think schools struggle with the most? Or what are they you see of these components? Do they have the most problems with? So I'd say two, but I'd also back up to say, if these are siloed, it's probably not going to work anyway. So these are four interconnected parts to support wellness uh, within a school community. So each one is very important. Um, Sometimes we overcomplicate this. Uh, So this would be a comprehensive school health framework, which is a framework to address health and wellness in your school, much like community development is a process to address community development, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, But to answer the question, um, so two. So partnerships and services, I do think that schools, looking at the aspect of health and education and how those two sectors or people work together, um, I think these are two very different sectors. These have different people uh, involved with it. They have different values. They have different educational platforms. They work differently. Um, And I think those two sectors coming together to address child well-being um, hasn't been hasn't been easy. So sometimes education feels like, you know, we, we got this, you know, children in our building, we're going to do this. Health is like, hey, we have a lot of expertise, but we're going to get in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say the scariest thing I hear is when I talk to a group, they say, how do we get into schools? And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's, <a dangerous, laughs> like, that's a dangerous statement. Yeah. So I do think that um, there needs to be a, a trust and a place where uh, schools reach out to those partnerships, whether it be community, whether it be health, whether it be a sport and physical activity. Um, and I do think there needs to be a better understanding of those schools groups when they do come into a school um, of the complexities of, of, of that school day. So I think that partnerships and services piece is a place that we um, uh, we don't have right yet. And then also, um, I think our social and physical environments. So that component in terms of environment, I still feel, you know, with all this 246 new builds, new school builds, <laughs> like the question of 
in uh, in the province. The question of are we building these buildings to support the health and wellness of a child? I think right now we're still building buildings. Um, we used to have a joke within our team that we'd see a new school and we play we play a game to say is that a school or a prison? <laughs> because we're building these these big structures without a lens of you know uh, not as as much of a lens of you know natural light um, a creation of physical activity space we call it physical activity permissive learning environments and we need to have that health and wellness lens in terms of the buildings that we we work and live and learn in um, so the fact that even uh, having alter alternate environments in terms of um, making sure that our schools are connected to nature that children can learn outside, making sure that we have not just si uh, sitting desks, making sure we have natural light. All, all those different things can come into your physical environment. And then as we've talked about in terms of a social environment, um, are we focusing on that social connectivity? And I do think we're doing better here, but just that greeting greeting aspect, making sure students are connected to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and making sure students are connected to that school so they want to come to school. Right. So, you know, let's not forget in, in a lot of different schools, student attendance and student graduation is a, is a big challenge. Yeah. So absolutely. we need that connectivity too. I want to come back and, and I want to talk about those two barriers. And we, I, I totally agree with you. Without the comprehensive, without all four, mm -hmm. um, the thing falls down. Yep. But let's talk about how we might be able to increase uh, the partnerships between the different services. Um, yeah. I, I totally agree with the statement. We have seen it. There's sometimes some turf battles around, okay, who gets access to the kids? Sometimes there's um, not competing interests, but probably competing plans of how to address certain problems. Do you, do you have any tips for people who are looking to create better partnerships with the people who ultimately can have an effect on wellness of students? So for us, that would be with our health services. It would probably all the different components of our health services. Mm -hmm. It might be with some of our community services. It might even be some of our minor sport associations. Um, any tips on how we might be able to better build the relationships between the different people who, who all are working on student wellness. Yeah. So uh, I've been at this job for nine years and I probably wasn't saying this nine years ago. Um, but I think approaching this with empathy. Mm. So approaching it with, with that everyone has good intentions. Um, you know, we talked about today how many times we rescheduled to do this, that everyone's busy too. Um, so maybe to have an empathy where people are coming from. I think within some of these structures, they are bound by one, the history of how they've always worked. And the funding that they may or may not receive. So there's these old structures that are that are there that haven't allowed maybe these good partnerships to happen. But have empathy where people are coming or coming from, um, and then and then go through a like a trust building process. Um, there was a researcher out of SFU. Her name's Dr. Diane Feingood, and she brought together like big food, um, like unhealthy big food, the the big marketing ones. Um, she brought together researchers and she brought together community and just saying like. Like, hey, like there is some common ground here, right? Mm -hmm. Like McDonald's doesn't want every child drinking two liters of pop, yeah. but but this is happening. So how do we build some trust with each other uh, so we can get get to a better result? Um, but trust trust building takes time too. So yeah. we, we have to find that time. So empathy and trust. Yeah. 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 That's um, a great one. Thank you. Um, now I've heard tell that you're a pretty great runner uh, back in the day, and perhaps even now. And I'd like to know a little bit more about that lived experience and, and, and how that influenced how 
you are today and maybe some of the experiences that you lived with physical activity and how that informs the work you do trying to promote physical activity and wellness with students. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to know who said I was a good runner who, 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 and who said I, I am a good runner. Um, I've, running has been a big piece of my life uh, for uh, forever. Um, so uh, it, it, it maybe shows me those, those direct uh, results of, of how physical activity can, uh, can make everything better. Participation just has a wonderful new, new messaging that that physical activity does contribute to all these different areas of your life. Um, but yeah, so I, I, um, it's okay to say that it is a healthy addiction uh, that I have, <laughs> I have towards it, but I, I do see how it does make many different areas of my life better in terms of my work, uh, my family and, um, and everything else. I, I think, you know, everyone's going to have a different, uh, um, care like that, you know, for, 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 for me, it's running, but, um, I always had the opportunity. So I do, I do think of that, uh, running as, uh, is what was, was given to me in terms of all these different opportunities I had when I was young. Um, and what can we do as a system? What can we do as programs? What can, what can we do as schools to make sure that we are giving a child an opportunity, whether that be running, whether that be soccer, whether that be art. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to just try to think of that. I was fortunate that that running came my way and um, it's a big, big piece of uh, friendships. It, it was a big piece of uh, starting to get involved with this, this, this type of research. However, you know, I learned that it wasn't as narrow as just physical activity. Um, but for sure, it, it, it's, it's foundational to who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did you get a, I'm interested for your lived experience and I realize this is not, you know, last week or whatnot, yeah. but were you able to, did you have the opportunity to not only experience, but were you introduced to running through schools? Um, yeah. was it, um, was it more of a community organization? Um, I'm interested to know. Uh, it was school for sure. So elementary, awesome. elementary cross country, and I wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> so I'd be, you know, plotting along, and then uh, I saw this yesterday. Actually, a little cross country race, but you know, one one child was kind of ahead, and you kind of slowly catch up to that child, and then that child sprints away for a second. You slowly catch up. So I remember I was the one slowly catching up, but um, for sure. So elementary uh, cross country. My mother was a runner, uh, so that was a big source of motivation, and I could see it. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know in the eighties. You know, my mom would go running at eight o'clock at night and I was like, what, you know, is this, <laughs> this is normal in my house, but I don't see a lot of this. So I was definitely, um, I, I, you know, I definitely had a role model and then I got involved with uh, different clubs and things like that. So I grew up in North Vancouver, but I remember going to West Vancouver, which is, you know, a 25 minute drive, you know, three times a week to join the Norwesters track and field club. Um, so definitely I had opportunity that way. I didn't do a lot during high school, but then I came back to it during, uh, during university. So. It was wonderful to, I always say this uh, because I have so many friends that I've, I've run with and then, you know, they're not running, but you can always come back to running. Yeah. Um, so you can take 10 years off and come back to it, but I'm sure there's a lot of different activities like that, but you can always come back to it. Totally. Yeah. And I love two of the aspects um, that you just talked about. And I think that that's the adult modeling. Mm-hmm. You had someone who was showing you that this was normal to go out yeah. and to be physically active. And the other thing that I, that I really like that you, that you talked about was that you were introduced to running, but you weren't the greatest right away. And perhaps you, you left it for a while, but you came back. And I think that we talk a lot about sowing the seeds of perhaps future physical activity. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily see the rewards of that immediately. Mm-hmm. We, we might be, in fact, um, 
having a having an impact on on future years so that's that's really cool thanks yeah. for sharing that see pr- planting as many seeds as you can so just mm-hmm. think of providing that child as many opportunities as you can um and then hopefully supporting them through it we have a project right now it's called no cuts in school sport yeah. but the fact that we are sometimes we have to work within this system where we are quote-unquote cutting a child from mm-hmm. a team that's that squashing opportunity um and that child may not be excelling or or you know um, even will even wanting to be involved with that activity as much, um, but they may come back to it. Yeah. So let's let's not kill that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Now, you work for Ever Active Schools. Let's say you are wildly successful. Let's say that you um you 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 hit a home run. What would might we see in five years or in ten years as a society if the work that you're doing with Ever Active Schools hits that home run is really successful? Yeah. Um, so another thing that I learned over the nine years is that we're one piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, so as much as we 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 can drive some very important things, it doesn't happen without good partnerships and and even aspects of political will and, and all all those different things. Um, so we're one piece of the puzzle. But I do think we're still living in a society where we're trying to squeeze wellness in. Mm-hmm. So we're not, you know, we're not, we're not well. Our, our, our systems are not geared towards uh, supporting wellness. Uh, we do a lot of work in staff well-being and, and we have uh, a case in schools where, where our staff are not healthy. Mm-hmm. And we try to, then we try to, our initiatives are trying to squeeze wellness into that unhealthy uh, system. We had a really good orientation, um, uh, last year with a group called the McConnell Foundation and someone's just stood up and said, we're trying to put a little bit of calm in a chaotic system. Um, <laughs> so we can have a moment to breathe. Um, so I think I say the word value a lot. I think there's an increased value towards wellness. Um, so sometimes wellness is a word that we are using often now. We're hearing wellness and well-being all the time. But if we truly value wellness and well-being, uh, we start to resource it. Uh, we start to live it. Uh, we start to practice it um, a, a little bit more. So an increased value, an increased knowledge of how to get there. Uh, I still think, you know, even, you know, the terms like comprehensive school health, I think there's a lot of learning uh, that needs to, to go with uh, how to create a how to create a healthy school. Um, and I just think we have, you know, maybe a better, you know, this, this comes back to um, the equity cases that we have a better understanding of the determinants of health. So the biggest determinant of one's health is where they live. Um, and that's, in a country like Canada, I, I'd say that's, that's not right. Uh, everybody should have the opportunity to be well. Uh, so better understanding aspects like, aspects like that, um, to why people are well or not. It's, it's not a case of, uh, did that person choose to go to the gym or not? That has nothing to do with their, their wellness. That's, yeah. um, yeah. yeah, those are really important. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I love the, I love that you understand that you have influence, but that you don't act alone. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good balance. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty probably pretty healthy. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about education a bit more generally. As I said, you you travel around quite a bit, and and you're talking about learning and education in terms of wellness. Is there something that when you talk about a particular aspect that you get a bit of pushback from that you that people tell you that they don't they don't actually see it your way? Uh, yeah. So I, I think these are, uh, newspaper stuff. Yeah. Right. These are, uh, so yesterday, Ontario banning cell phones. Yeah. So those are, those are these, these kind of, uh, newspaper things. Um, so, uh, to, to, to those things, I, one thing that I always say is, um, 
so whether it's sport, physical activity, or wellness programming, or things like that, an after-school program, uh, that program should be free. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start there. So you start to have that conversation with a municipality that is con- always always a charge admission for recreation or charge admission for um, an arts club or something like that, and they can't even. Can't, they can't even get their head wrapped, wrapped around that because there's this budget line that they that they can't see differently. Um, I always say libraries are powerful, and we have a lot to learn from libraries. Mm-hmm. So libraries literacy is a service is a is something that we incredibly value. And there's these buildings all all across uh, our province and country that offer this service for free. We value it, but we don't value some of those other things, such as. Uh, those other active recreation programming places where people gather in terms of socially and things like that. Sometimes we have to pay for that. So when I say it should be free, um, then I think I, I sometimes get some, some disagreement um, mm-hmm. or, or I could see the, I could see the thinking isn't there and then I have empathy for it. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, so that's, that's something I say sometimes that I uh, disagree with um, sometimes within a school day um, aspects of, um, Recess is the right of a child. That's almost, you know, maybe too bold um, uh, when, when really a, a child's right to play, which is a human right. Uh, and sometimes when we're uh, quick to, we just went through a tough winter, quick to cancel recess or quick to think about recess, we don't value it as much as we value instructional time. Um, that's something I, I do get some uh, pushback on. And then I think in terms of some of the solutions, which are just tough, maybe people don't disagree. But I think it's just tough is looking at the school schedule. So we're pretty set for the last hundred or so years that school happens between nine and three, Monday to Friday. But maybe that's not the best time for a child to learn. Um, So looking at school schedules uh, a little bit differently, I think uh, that's also a place where I get some some pushback. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Kate was here. I know, Kate, you did a podcast with Kate, but Kate's done a lot of work around sleep. Oh, yeah. And how sleep impacts our overall health. And sometimes the way we set up our school system doesn't allow a child to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. We have as, a joke in we have a joke in educational administration sessions that there are certain things that you just don't touch. Yeah. And one of them is the schedule. Yeah. Like you just don't touch the timetable. Like yeah. you, it's a no win. You're never ever going to win. So just don't even go there. So it's funny that you bring that yeah. up because yeah, I can see it. Yeah. And it's kind of known. <laughs> and we're so prepared schedule-wise. Like, I don't know, yeah. uh, I don't know about Parkland, but in the major school jurisdictions in the big cities, like, they have their schedule done three years from now. Yeah. Like, they're not planning wellness three years from now. <laughs> but they, they have their set schedule. So it is one of those ingrained system things that, you know, I think it needs a healthy look. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. You know, I'm interested in learning environments and we spoke a little bit about some of your lived experiences and how that, that, that plays forward and, mm-hmm. and who you are today. So when you think back to the best learning experiences that you've had, uh, what about them made them powerful? Was there people or places or activities or an approach that, that helped make the learning better? Yeah, I, I definitely say people. Um, people make a difference. So I went through my through my master's, and this maybe dovetails into my my running stories. Is that some of those people that I ran with uh, were also involved with my uh, academic studies, and if I didn't have that that network, or if I didn't have a sixty minute easy run to discuss things with, mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't have been able to um, you know succeed or, or 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 get through those those studies. So I do think it's an important to surround yourself with with the right people. And I think energy is important. So we host a conference at the end of January and we go up to the mountains. It's been in Kananaskis and it's been in Lake Louise now. 
but there is a professional learning environment and we do this all the time. Like professional learning is ingrained in, in the education system. We have professional learning, which is great. Uh, and we value that. Um, but sometimes we lose sight that how does an adult learn? An adult doesn't learn sitting in a room for eight <laughs> hours, you know, going through PowerPoint. So I believe that the right energy uh, needs to be there to have, to have somebody learn. And the right ener energy comes from connecting to somebody maybe on a break as much as getting incredible, incredible content uh, within that professional learning. So within that conference, we always ask ourselves, like, what's the feel and flow of the conference right here? Mm -hmm. right? At this moment, what's the feel and flow? And if we feel that it's like, well, everyone's been sitting for, for, for six hours and I don't think the feel and flow is very good, then we'll definitely have to read that. But, or we'll have to rethink it. But you have um, a schedule, Brian. Yeah, we have a schedule. And then we go back to that, right? So... Yeah, one one year we're just gonna not not have a schedule, <laughs> free flow. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll feel we'll like yeah, we succeeded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite failure or success that helped you learn an important lesson? Something that you think about um, that maybe oh yeah, that that's when I learned about this, or that really taught me about a particular aspect. You come back to. Um. So maybe maybe two things. Um. Maybe the moment where you think you're 100% right, <laughs> you've lost sight of the other opinion. Um, and I think in, in a place like health promotion where you, where you can have a lot of different, a lot of different views. Yeah. Um, parents can have a lot of different views. I have two young kids at a school now and I talk to other parents and I, you know, I'm like, are we on the same page? But there can be other views out there, which is, which is really important. So I think you always have to let go. There has to be a release to understand other, other opinions. And maybe the more focused you get, you're, you're 100% right. Maybe the more wrong you are. Mm. Um, uh, so that's, um, so that's definitely one that I, that I, that I try to remember. And then, you know, I, we discussed this about some of our drivers is that I think it's really important that we approach this work positively. So I think before, you know, I, I would have been on the bandwagon. To say, you know, the obesity crisis is, you know, um, ruining our communities or, or, or impacting the health of our children. And for sure, uh, not having a healthy weight can be an impact to the health of our child. Um, but coming across this positively and with strength-based language uh, really is really is important. Uh, you can, sure, you can grab some attention uh, if you use some of those terms, uh, but you're also going to lose people's attention too. Uh, they're not going to hang in there that long. Because uh, one, there's no silver bullet, and you're going to be there for a long time. So stay positive, and and to to come back to that strength based language um, yeah. as the lesson. I find that really interesting because that's something I've been shying away from. I just I just refuse to talk about things in terms of crises. Yeah. I actually think it leads to people not problem solving or looking at potential solutions that are around them. Yeah. So if it's a crisis, some people often equate that to there is no solution. Mm -hmm. um, when oftentimes they just need to look around and say, okay, yeah, this is a problem. This is something we should absolutely address. What are people doing about it that's successful already? Yeah. And just get them into that mentality of looking at, looking at yeah, what do you do about it? So I, I really appreciate that. I, I, I think we're seeing it a little bit right now with mental health mm. is that there, there absolutely is um, a critical need for support to students around mental health, and that's mental health care. Yeah. But at the same time, that messaging also means that we need to just produce positive, healthy school communities. And then with that, we're going to have less children go into the place of mental health care. Uh, but it's important to focus on that upstream messaging too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, 
I, I really like recommendations hmm. and uh, I'm super interested what people are kind of um, consuming in terms of media and books and all that kind of stuff. And so I was wondering, do you have a favorite app, a website, or a film, some other media that uh, you're either liking really now, a lot right now, or that you recommend to other people? So I'll go back to simple. Uh, I, I uh, born in '76, grew up in the '80s or '90s, and massive sports fan. And back then, TSN.ca. So yes. <laughs> I'll keep it, I'll keep it simple to say that that's uh, that's that's probably still a place because I, I care about sports. Um, I really enjoy uh, Twitter as a platform. Uh, so I, I think in terms of health and education, uh, those are really engaged platforms in, in terms of um, using Twitter. My brother's in finance and he's like, yeah, I don't know what Twitter is. So I think <laughs> certain sectors have drawn to Twitter more than others. But I do think there's um, uh, there's really good content and conversation uh, on there for sure. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the education environment on Twitter is actually really, really quite well developed. And yeah. Very professional. And for the most part, sometimes you hear the opposite of this, but I think it's positive. Like, I, I think there's a there's a politeness and a positivity uh, to that platform um, that is drawing, mm -hmm. right? that, that, that draws that draws you back. Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah. totally agree, which yeah. is not the case with some other industries. No. Yeah, I would <laughs> no, not want to no. be in politics no. on Twitter. Bonkers. Uh, but in education, yeah, yeah it seems yeah. It seems a lot more positive. I agree. Uh, do you have a book that you like to recommend to others or that you kind of quote or refer to a lot? So we just asked this within our team, uh, kind of a favorite book. Uh, and I'd say I'm not an avid reader. Mm -hmm. um, two young kids, so I'm reading a lot of Dr. Seuss. Um, <laughs> I think I'm almost enjoying it more than they are now. Uh, Catcher in the Rye is a book I've, I've come back to uh, many times in my life. Um, and then maybe when I started to, at the beginning, I wasn't going to get into health promotion or, or physical education. Uh, I was going to get into business. So I, at that time I tore up, um, good to great. Mm. And I've, I've come back to that book quite a bit too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm laughing cause I'm, yeah. uh, we were sitting beside a bookshelf and it's, uh, good yeah. to great is staring at me and, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and books like that, that, you know, capture everyone's attention. Um, they're books you can con converse about because everyone's read them right. or, or a lot of people have read them for sure. Yeah. yeah. This one's, uh, I ask this to all my guests, yep. but uh, it, it seems to fall uh, quite well with, with this interview. Is yep. there something that you do every single day or most days that helps you to be well and healthy? So we've talked about, about running as my reset. And that's my reset moment. If I'm having, a, if I'm having a, not the best day, that's, that's a moment I need. And I, you know, I'm not shy to say the word need. Mm -hmm. uh, humor. I enjoy, I enjoy humor. Um, what, what are my kids saying to me right now that just crushed me the other day? Like, um, oh, we're, we're too old for that. Like I'm telling them this joke, right? I'm telling them this is a stupid joke. And they're like, we're too old for that dad. I'm like, oh no, like <laughs> I'm losing my audience. Uh, but I really, I re jokes. yeah, the dad, like I'm losing them. So, you know, I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy humor. And I think, um, overall in terms of a, a business setting and a personal setting, we need, we need more humor. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there an organization or a person that is really inspiring you right now? Someone that you would tell others to, hey, they're, they're doing some really great work. Go check them out. Yeah. A, a mentor of mine was Dr. John McGavick, who definitely influenced the way, um, maybe that direction in terms of health promotion that I went, but also a better understanding of um, aspects of uh, truth and reconciliation and working with Indigenous communities. So John's story was he was an exercise uh, physiologist here at U of A doing his postdoc and then went down to Texas, but ended up back in back in Winnipeg, which was his hometown. He was working on a exercise diabetes 
control study, but noticed everybody in the hospital was indigenous. So why is that? And then you start to go back. And I think this is a time where I didn't grow up. I'm 43. I didn't grow up with an understanding of Canadian history uh, in this way. So I think for him, it was just amazingly um, uh, eye-opening. And he's been a, he's, he's an, a natural teacher and he taught, taught me those aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, he's shed light on the aspect of um, the truth, maybe. Uh, I love working with him on aspects of reconciliation. Um, but for sure, yeah, he's always been an inspiration. Yeah. That's awesome. So what's next for you? And and maybe what this is perhaps tied to ever active schools. What are some of the things that you're looking at um, continuing some work on? What are perhaps some new aspects of your work that you're looking at opening up in the coming years? So what I just touched on, uh, for working on indigenous, uh, commu- working with indigenous communities on, on health and wellness, um, that work uh, has continued and that's been, I'd say, personally, the most rewarding work, work we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've grown that and we now have a team within Everactive Schools focusing on um, uh, supporting health and wellness in indigenous communities and we're just hiring three more coordinators. So that's, uh, that, that's pretty exciting work, all focused on, you know, building leadership, building opportunities for youth. Um, so uh, that, that, that work continues um i'm big on coalitions and collective voices these days uh so uh here in alberta we're 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 kind of bringing together groups that are focused on sport physical activity and active recreation and sometimes those three groups see themselves as different things and they're not um we're talking about our, on a rink uh here at the school today that we're going to be uh that, that's going to be kind of launched um and that'll be some. You'll say, "Oh, that's active recreation, or that's physical activity." And some people will say, "That's sport. They're playing hockey." Uh, but we need to come to a collective voice around the importance uh, of those three, or of that of that one thing. Um, and we need to coordinate ourselves a little bit more. So, based on policies and funding and history, these things are separated uh, yeah. within the way they're they're delivered. But at a community level, they're the exact same thing. Yeah. So we're, we've come together with this kind of active Alberta coalition uh, to one to better coordinate and to have a better a better collective voice. Yeah. We're also doing that on a national scale in terms of school health. So there's other programs like Ever Active Schools in Ontario. They have a program called OFIA. Um, there's PHE Canada, Physical and Health Education Canada, and we have primarily all worked separately, all chasing grants, all trying to build capacity, um, all well intentioned and doing wonderful things. Um, probably without the time to stop and reflect and say, Hey, is there some things that we could, we could do together? Um, so for the last 14, 16 months, we've been working on kind of a Canadian alliance, um, to better coordinate some of those things. And, you know, I think the, the positive things that are come out of that is we all don't start from zero. You know, maybe there's some things that are happening in Ontario that we can learn from and we can, we can advance that work. Um, so I love that stuff. There's another hat I wear uh, for the city of Edmonton, which is um, I'm on the board of the Edmonton Sport Council. Hmm. And it's a volunteer board, which I really enjoy. But we've looked at um, the social legacy of sporting events. So we bring in the conversation around Calgary 2026. Um, the social legacy component of that got pretty lost. But you're going to bring in like a $500 million event um, to your city and you're asking for three levels of government to fund it, public funding going to it. Um, and people want more than two weeks of the greatest snowboarders in the world in your city. 
So I think there's a really important piece that a sporting event can have a positive social legacy within your city. And a social legacy is not only inspiring children and youth to be active, but it's enabling them to be. So what are the programs or what are the bridges and gateways that we can build uh, within a city that may not be there before with this injection of funds and, and things like that that come into major, major sporting events? Major sporting events are powerful like they they get they get money yeah um so let but let's make sure we're using that money in the right way after um and i know this has been marked by a bad history of you know the olympics come into town and the and the country's in poverty yeah um so i i think we got an, an uphill battle there but um but i also think this is a place like it's um you know we're writing a new a new map for what this could be yeah. so when we go after sporting events you know edmonton's thinking about fifa well, what's the legacy of that? The legacy could be every child that wants to play should have the opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. I enjoy I enjoy that stuff too. Yeah, yeah. And if that's the ultimate, if that is the result, um, what a powerful result. Yeah. If we can change some thinking and actually get more kids physically active, that that's worth yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Taking down the barriers. Well, yeah. I want to thank you so much, Brian, uh, for not only coming out and doing the interview, but just sharing all of your expertise and experience. Um, I think there's a lot of great things that people are going to walk away and bring back to their schools and, and also just changing and shifting thinking around what health looks like and working with students. So thank you so much. Cool. Thanks for your leadership in, in doing this stuff. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, intersectioned, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.